is up? Welcome to Tea with Monty B. It is your girl, Monty. And guess what? This episode, doggone three. I can't believe it. I'm excited. So today I have two of my close friends. Hey, my name is Bianca. Um, you know, like a fun fact. So I'm left-handed. I acted in The Wire. I tell everybody that you just have to look really close. Child with the big head and the purple book bag. And I'm happy to be here to talk with Imani today. Hey guys, I'm Liz. A fun fact of me is that I'm originally from Connecticut, which is actually not a fun fact. Just relocated to Charlotte about a year ago, and I'm very happy to be here. All right, my girls. So we reviewed this couple's, I'm not going to say their names, but we reviewed this couple's podcast where they spoke about monogamy and sex during marriage. And I said, why not just have a conversation about it? So here we are. So my first question to you two, one of y'all just start whenever you feel the need to, what is your definition of monogamy? Mm, that's a good question. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, Webster's, <laughs> Webster's dictionary. Webster's a lot of everyone thinks it's just you, it's just you and your partner. That's it. Mm-hmm. There's no, there's no third person. There's nobody else. It's just two Y'all people. Two. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. I think like it has different levels to it. But when you think of monogamy, like you say, you think of one and one makes two, those two people together. But it's more than just being physical. It's monogamy as an emotion, monogamy as a spiritual, of course, physical, but there's different types to that when you say that. I agree. Like, to me, I always thought monogamy was the you signing the paper in front of the judge and stating it's the state of marriage. I never thought of monogamy, thinking of how the pod, how they spoke about it, the podcast, a man being tied down to one woman when it comes to sexual urges, when it comes to who they spill their emotions to. Just I never thought of it to be that way. Well, it's... I personally, like, just listening to it, I never thought of it that way because it made it sound like sex is a chore once you enter into, like, a monogamous relationship. And, you know, maybe you guys can speak more to it since you've all had, like, longer, more serious relationships. But for me, I've never felt like sex is a chore. Um, I guess, like, more consistently, if I don't feel like doing something, I never thought that that feeling would hurt my partner either because we mm-hmm. came into an agreement together. So, yeah, I think you can, you can, it touches upon different things. So like for me, when I think of monogamy, I think about one person and all the things that Bianca mentioned, right? All that comes with a relationship of just the two of you and having, being loyal and, mm-hmm. and all the other stuff that comes to it. But yeah, being in a relationship and, you know, in the beginning you, have sex like rabbits. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's all exciting. It's fun. And then honeymoon phase. Yes, yeah. the honeymoon phase. And as things, you know, and if you have long distance relationships, of course, you're going to constantly, you're always probably most likely will have sex together or have sex period. Um, but once you move in, things tend to change. And I think mm-hmm. we do become a little complacent. And sometimes people do use sex as a weapon mm-hmm. where they will withhold it because they're angry at their partner or they're partner did not you know pour into them or they don't feel appreciated and it becomes 
more of an obligation as in a chore, basically, as opposed to something that you want to share with that person, especially when that other person makes you feel like a piece of meat. Right. You know, so it's just like there's so many like aspects to Mm -hmm. it. So then like question for you guys, when you feel that way. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Take two. (laughs) So when you guys feel that way, um, when you feel like it's a chore obligation or like you're a piece of meat. Do you voice these things to your partners? Yeah. And how did they perceive it or how did they receive it if they did at all? So when I started saying, I, we finally had the conversation, long story short, me and my boyfriend broke up due to just miscommunication, misguidance of where we want to be, and just life happenings. So the reason that at one point when we were, once COVID happened, when we were finally having the discussions of how we felt, I told him, honestly, like, I just felt that it, it, sex became the priority of what he wanted. He didn't care about the emotional side of things. He wasn't thinking about the emotional side of things. It just became something that he expected 24-7 when he wanted it on time. Mm. But to me, it became a chore. It became something that I had to do to make sure he was okay. And I don't believe that that should be the, like you, like you always say, I feel like it should be able to flow. Mm-hmm. Sex should be something that happens in the relationship genuinely and honestly. So I think like listening, maybe listening to you and then listening to that podcast, it seemed like, and I'm not going to say for all men, it just seemed like for that moment for some, that monogamy starts to become like a sense of ownership yeah. to women um, from the man. So it starts to feel like, okay, well, you want to be monogamous, but if we're just using this example, you want to be monogamous, fine. I want sex. Mm-hmm. And that's how I felt, or that's how I perceived that podcast. When I feel like if you want to be monogamous, you should also want to be right. monogamous. It's a mutual thing. But know that that just doesn't mean being physical. And know that as time evolves, there's always going to be someone that's mm-hmm. um, a little bit off. Like they're going to want to put the physical first, or they might want to put the emotional first there's got to be some type of balance but I also feel like you just have to both of you have to communicate and if you were to say something to him and he's not receiving it well Mm -hmm. there needs to be an accountability on his side as well say hey you know she's telling me something I'm not listening (laughs) because of sex or whatever the case might be but that's not an excuse to neglect the rest of it or make it your fault if you don't feel like having sex that's true yeah Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, and I think the way men and women view sex is very differently. Mm-hmm. And I was just going to say, like, as a young girl, right? I'm much older now, but, like, young girl, we were always told, like, you know, you're a virgin. You have to make sure your first time is very special. And for guys, it's like, you're 14, 15, go get it. Mm-hmm. You know, and if there's no, and I'm not going to say that there's no ever, an, sorry, what I'm saying is, not, I'm not saying that there will never be an emotional connection to it. But for women, there's a much more an emotion to it. Mm -hmm. And we're actually craving intimacy Mm -hmm. versus a man. (laughs) Okay, girl, get it wrong. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, but that's what it is. We got to call a spade a spade. So how do you reverse that type of thinking? Because I don't think that I feel like half, I don't want to say half, maybe like a good percentage of how men and women think is pushed from like society, how mm-hmm. you're, how you were raised. And yes, we have like, you know, estrogen and, um, testosterone. Thank you. <laughs> Test- thank you, Dr. Liz. Test- <laughs> testosterone. 
But it's just that um, at what point do men kind of realize I'm just as emotional? I'm like, what if we're just on the same level playing field, but we have all these different forces telling us that we need to be different. We are different and we have to be different. And I think that's where even men start to believe that all they care about is sex and that's all they want. And that's not necessarily true. So it's like, how do you reshape society at that point to come up with a different definition for monogamy and being physical? I was interesting because yeah. I would say when I was much younger, I never thought about, I think that's what she was kind of saying, you know, her 26 year old self versus her 36 year old. Mm-hmm. I never thought about having a conversation at 26 saying, what are your sexual desires or what are your sexual needs and how can I meet those needs or what those needs will be like in 10, 20, 30, 40 years from now. Like that's not something that I ever was mm-hmm. taught or not a topic that was never up for discussion. Mm-hmm. And I think now I still probably would never have thought to have that conversation with whoever I'm dating no. um, until I heard this podcast. Like, and like it opened up my mind to say, wait, maybe things need to be, you know, we need to speak about these things. But the thing is, I don't know who I'm going to be or what my sexual desire is going to be in five, years. ten years. Right. So I can tell you yeah, I'm going to be a bad bitch. And- <laughs> you know want to do all these things but i don't know and especially your body changes as you get older Mm -hmm. as a woman and especially if you have children and then you have the stressors of the work of work of all these things and it's like yeah the world and it's like you're splitting yourself into so many different parts of you basically or different roles that you play that it gets really exhausting and i think the demand just completely all i want to do is sleep sometimes Mm -hmm. you know what i mean or take a nice hot shower and go to bed like i don't want to talk to you i don't want to do anything with you get the hell out of my face kind mm-hmm. of thing. But I know that's not fair to my partner either. But I think as women, we also always think about our partner. We get mm-hmm. so consumed in everyone else that we forget what we want. So then when it does come to the point that we're like, I don't feel like having sex, I don't want to do it. We feel as though we're taking something from them or we feel that we are forcing ourselves to be mean or take something from them that they desire when in actuality we're just thinking about ourselves but yet men I'm not gonna say because I don't know I'm not a man so I don't know I don't know if they think of others as much as we have to as much as we do so when it comes to them wanting sex boom 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 24 7 that's their nature that's what they want that's what they're made for they're made to hunt and to produce kids that's what they're made for so to me, it's like as women, we give men excuse after excuse instead of just saying, no, this is what I want today. This is and how I feel. And feel that's it. Right. Because Let us be us. Even that feeling like what you're saying, what both of you are saying, is like that you don't want to. You don't feel like it. That's not a bad thing. But you mm-hmm. also start to feel an obligation like maybe I should or yep. maybe I'll do this. Like I was listening to like Jada's um, Red Table Talk for a little bit. And they were talking about how in their marriage, they've encountered like non-consensual sex Mm. where they felt like they had to because they just, that's their wifely duty, but they didn't want to. And I feel like society kind of makes it to where women, we just just serve in every every type of way. And that's not to say it's an excuse because we're perfectly aware that that's not what we supposed to do or need to do. But it's something that's constantly like jammed down our throats Mm. that we're here to serve everyone mm-hmm. before you serve yourself i have a comment on that too because the way i was raised and it was very interesting because i was you know had cousins come over this weekend and they're much older than me i'm saying like like almost 30 years 
maybe close to like 25 years older than me. And I remember growing up, my mom and my sisters and just family, the women in my life always saying like, well, you better have sex with your man because if not, that's going to push him to another woman's bed. Mm -hmm. So it's the sense of guilt, right? It's like, well, if I don't do it, somebody else is going to do it. And it took a long time for me to undo that way of thinking because mm-hmm. it's like if you were to step out on me, that's your decision. Yeah, you know what I mean. And it's it just it comes that's going it's into a different circle. territory. But the reason I point that out too, it's because even though my cousin is twenty five, I say twenty five years older than I am, she mentioned that mm-hmm. this weekend and saying, "Well, you should have sex with your man because if not, he's going to cheat on you." And I'm like whoa <laughs> let's talk about that yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean like why is it you know i could be going through something mm-hmm. that's the reason why i don't want to have sex or there may be going something you know something may be going on with me um and i think it's just open communication and you need to have a partner who understands you and is able mm-hmm. to you know compromise with you and i'm not saying we're never gonna have sex or anything like that but there's a time for things right mm-hmm. and i'm gonna echo that when yeah. it comes to monogamy i think men expect the woman that treats them the way that they want to be treated or the woman that does all the things that they love and is the ideal woman of what they want, they think that that's who they want monogamy with. But then one time when something happens that's not of caliber of what they expected of what they wanted out of their their wife, they feel as though you're a failure or you're forgetting about me you're not taking into fruition of who I am when it's like it's okay to just say you're not the one for me if I don't give you like you said if you're for me you're for me if I don't give you the sex that you desire or that you want it's okay I just may not be for you your person who will give you that 24 7 is probably out there and it's okay to accept it I don't think and it's probably a double standard too I was told you'll find a man that is willing to go race after race for you, for anything that you want. But in reality, it's just someone that'll work through my struggles and his struggles at the same time. And I don't think we are giving that. So it's kind of, now I'm going in circles, (laughs) but it's kind of like you're unlearning what you learned as a child or as a teenager or as an adult that you were told was a specific way when in actuality it's not that at all very dysfunctional thing very yeah like there's no perfect person either way Mm -hmm. and it's like probably around your i think now for like our generation late 20s you start to realize that what your parents taught you and what you learned growing up Mm -hmm. is not a reality like there is no perfect man in the sense of like he's gonna ride on a horse and like drive you away (laughs) and like all your first times and everything's gonna have all these candles and all this stuff Mm -hmm. like trust me I believe that and I love my first time but it's like it didn't have candles and shit like that like you know it was hard but it's like um there's a beauty in seeing the imperfections Mm -hmm. of a person and of a life and there's a beauty in you accepting those imperfections of that person so that you guys can build together nobody's perfect but when you love somebody and when you make that decision to be together you're really realizing that you know what that's a little you know it might be a little yellow flag or whatever but, but you know I'm willing to work with it because I know that you care about me and I care about you but to know that there's no perfect person. Mm-hmm. It's not always a bad thing. It's just understanding that, you know, imperfections can be beautiful. You don't That's have to true. be perfect. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, because we ourselves are not perfect. Mm-hmm. I know I'm not perfect at all. 
Me I have a lot of flaws and I'm, I'm crazy, y'all. Working. <laughs> <laughs> working through all of them. <laughs> then we're okay. Then we're talking about therapy. Like I'm just thinking now. We're talking about working through stuff. Mm-hmm. Why is it that men fight against therapy? Mm. Why is it people of color fight against therapy? Yes, definitely. So yes. to me, I can't really say that people of color now are fighting anymore because mm-hmm. we now have the resources. We have social media at our fingertips. Everybody is posting about therapy, mm-hmm. about getting help, about getting the things that celebrities are posting about it because they're dealing with it. Yeah. So to me now is to where I see that the resources are out there. So when you say that you don't see it or you don't want to, I find it as an excuse. <laughs> I find it as an, a, big, a big excuse. So now is to the point to where now more women, women of color, are getting therapy left and right. All, all the, we're always it's constantly crazy, talking right? about it. And that's, <laughs> insane. that's crazy to think about. But now the men are kind of stepping away and saying, I don't need therapy. Like, Well, I think, so there's a mix. I think that there is a turning point. Mm-hmm. But men are going to be slower to it. Because, again, if we go back to how we were raised, they were not nurtured in that way. I'm that's not going to say all men. Because there's definitely men that had, like, a strong support system growing up. But if we look at men in general and men of color more specifically, we fix everything with God. You know what I'm saying? That's so true. It's just, you don't talk about you it. You do not talk about it. Because it shows that you're weak. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like even Taraji, she was she was engaged and recently mm-hmm. they broke up and she said it's because she wanted to go to therapy and he didn't want to do it. And it's just like, you know, as a man, I'm just wondering, you know, you meet somebody that you love and care about. You don't want to leave them, and they ask you to do one thing. What's so scary about talking about how you feel? Well, it's scary. Mm -hmm. I mean, I myself, the way I started going to therapy was through couples counseling. Mm -hmm. And I kind of used it as a crutch. Now I'm looking Mm -hmm. back and I see it because I knew I needed therapy for a long time. But I was scared to face myself Mm because I think that's what therapy does. It forces you to To see who you really are. Yeah, and see all the issues because now you're, you know, you're identifying all these toxic things or these dysfunction mm-hmm. and these things that you've learned that brought you to where you are today but those things have not worked but it's all that you know mm-hmm. so for me like he was open to therapy because the therapist although she was a woman she was jamaican so yeah. it, he was able to relate to her <laughs> like, oh, but he was like if this is what's going to take but for me i was extremely hesitant to go right. at first. Mm-hmm. and then again going back to what i was saying i kind of used him as a crush and i was like all right well if we're gonna go as a couple you know it's gonna kind of like yeah, well, I'll work on myself in a way because, you know, we're a unit. Right. But then that ended up being that I was facing all my ugliness, mm-hmm. you know, all my shit, mm-hmm. <laughs> all the shit that I basically swept under the, mm-hmm. yeah, in Pandora, and I locked, swept under the rug, put in Pandora's box, and threw the key out. So I think there there is a lot of fear yeah. mm-hmm. because you have to face, have to face the it. unknown. Yeah. And then now that you're working through your stuff, it's like, oh, shit. Like, this is what this is about. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, you just come through a lot of breakthroughs and those breakthroughs are amazing. But at that time, they seem very scary. So I can see why therapy is scary. I think like, I definitely think it's that. Yeah. Like, I think I it's agree. a fear of facing yourself. I think the pandemic has heightened that for a lot of people. Yeah. But I also think like, just having that feelings and thoughts. Like, if we think about um, like different people who went to war Think about people who've been through so many things. They blame themselves and they feel like, you know, I don't need help. There's nothing wrong with me because that's what you've been told your entire life. 
So even thinking of going to therapy is like a weakness. Mm -hmm. It's like not even that I'm thinking about what am I going to unveil about myself is how others are going to perceive me. And like I'm starting to see a shift about people who are more open about going to therapy and thinking that you should. It doesn't mean that you're crazy. Like you have to think about the environment that you grew up in Mm -hmm. and the place that you live like. And if you want to be more specific, the U.S. sucks. Like, I hope they don't send me nowhere when you post this. But it's like, you know, you think about all of these factors and it's like, why Why wouldn't you need help? Right. You're by yourself. Yeah. You know? So true. I always say that um, if there were other countries looking in, they probably think that we eat crayons. Because it's to the point to where... I'm telling you. Because it's to the point to where we are constantly throwing darts at ourselves thinking that someone else is throwing those darts when it's like we're not even looking within and seeing what's going on with our shit or what what we're dealing with to actually say i need help or hey i'm drowning here can you lift me up friend or can you lift me up boyfriend girlfriend it's just so many thoughts that go through my head when it comes to therapy when it comes to relationships when it comes to our environment but like where do we move from here like, how do we progress as a society or how do we progress as people of color or having these conversations? Yeah. Like you're it's true. you're having a conversation about what you're feeling, and what you're it's thinking. True. And the thing I was just about to say this, because like we all have this weird concept of time. Everybody's perception of time is valid. Yep. But when you start to think about time as like maybe not so much as a destination, but as like a whole, it's mm-hmm. just there, then you won't feel the pressure to like change so quickly. Like things take time. It took yeah, you true. like 26, 27 mm-hmm. like years yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to, get, to, get to, <laughs> to get to where you are today. Like if you just think about all the years that it took you to mold yourself mm-hmm. and that's yourself, your mom, your dad, family, cousins, friends, everyone pouring into you. Then you have your experiences. Then you have society. Then you have mm-hmm. social media. My, remember that our parents did not have that. You know what I'm saying? So it's just like you have all of these factors that took you all these years to get to. The only way to change, obviously, is through time and mm-hmm. conversation. But it takes it takes time. And if you stop taking the pressure, I'm sorry, if you take the pressure off of time, then you'll start to see the change. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. I started, um, I picked up The Four Agreements again. Mm. It's an amazing book, by the way. Just read it. But that was one of the, like, I just read like the first three pages or so. And they were talking about how like your thoughts are basically not your own thoughts. Mm. Right? From the moment you were born. Your influence. Your, the influence, like your family society then you have religion it it builds a foundation for you so these are never really your thoughts so how do you get down your thoughts how do you get down to your actual thoughts then well over time you start evolving Mm -hmm. and that's when you start realizing wait well my mother taught me was she was coming from a very you know dysfunction Mm -hmm. dysfunctional way of thinking and that's what i adapted or adopted basically and it's really adopted sorry <laughs> I adopted that's what I learned and then now when I'm seeing you know I'm talking to different people and right. seeing different things I'm being exposed to so many different thoughts and ways of being and it's just like wait but that's not the way I was taught mm-hmm. you know but now you start to question your thought mm-hmm. your belief system your religion everything that makes you who you are but I have a question for you guys mm-hmm. like what made you all 
break from that mold? Like, what about you? Because there are plenty of people who just who stick straight to it, like what their parents what they were taught, taught them and what they were everything that they grew up in. Like, what about you in that moment said, ah, it made you question it. Like, mm, I don't think that's right. Like, yeah. So for me was my mentor. So I met her when I was oh, nine yeah. years old and she lived a completely different life than what I was raised in or the even the environment I was raised in. So once I was exposed to that world, I realized these, these two worlds are completely different mm-hmm. and I wanted to be part of that world. Mm-hmm. And then I started seeing the dysfunction. Of course, I didn't, I couldn't put it to words and I couldn't quite understand what it was when I was 9, 10, 11. But as I got older, I started just observing people's behaviors. Mm-hmm. So now I'm, you know, I'm no longer interacting with the people just in my block my neighborhood um now I'm interacting with other people mm-hmm. and it's just like wait how does this make sense like right. how, are how you does guys it work together have, yeah how does this work like how do you guys don't argue or you know I'm Latin so Latina whatever and in my household when we talk we yell at each other <laughs> and then I go to my mentor's house and everyone's just like can you please pass me the beans <laughs> I'm just like what <laughs> what did you just so say what did you just say so it was just being exposed to a different environment yeah. started reshaping the way I thought of things. Yeah. Okay. And also just reading, right? And just inter- it was really just exposing yourself to different things and yeah. saying, and really questioning, like, is this really the right way? Mm-hmm. I should think, like, am I coming from a place of, like, scarcity or is it a place of abundance? And, like, where am I here? And now as you get older, like, I always feel like you can't blame your parents for things. Mm-mm. Like, you know, like, it's you have the ta- the chance now to make your own decisions mm-hmm. and figure out which path you want to take. Because I always feel like we're different. We're at crossroads yep. every day, yeah. and it's like, well, which way am I going to go? And it's just being like aware of those old behaviors that you really don't want to continue mm-hmm. perpetuating. I spoke about that in episode one. It was like to the point to where. I realized once I graduated college, it's like you're continuously told this is where you go. This is what you do. This is your next step. But then once I graduated college and I started working, I'm like, what What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to function? What am I supposed to do? What's next? What do I grasp onto? And I always say I really don't remember my childhood because I really I don't know if it was bad, but I don't think that it was a hundred percent good either. Like I felt like my mom shielded me from the bad, but yet I was so observant and still knew that things weren't what it seemed that it was that bad. So I never can dictate or pinpoint. This is why I chose this path. It got to the point to where my mom started working at the college where I went to, to where she showed me the things that I could obtain. She started putting me at the age of 11. She started putting me in front of employers at different companies. She started having me volunteer at her career fairs. So she basically dropped me in places to say, hey, this is what you're going to experience. This is what you're going to see. Absorb it. Keep going. So I can't say that my family or my parents ever taught me anything, but they showed me stuff. She did teach she you did. something. Yeah. It's that like explains she, why you were the way you are. It's like she taught me in a different way than what I think everybody else absorbed. Because then when I action, exactly that's what it was. But then talk, she was at all. It was all action, no matter what Mm -hmm. circumstances we were in. She always showed me an action from our environment. But then I got to high school, where not even high school, it was like middle school, when I wanted to cling to the hood 
<laughs> I wanted to cling to the the struggle of what people in the hood because we lived that, but she tried to show me that there's other things out there. Mm-hmm. So it's like I wanted to cling to the hood and try to be in the hood and be of the hood and be the women who become baby mamas at a young age and mm-hmm. hustle in the streets because they need to feed that. So it's like it's weird for me because she showed me things, but yet she taught me in a different way. All right, fam. Now, I know we spilled a whole lot of tea during that 20 to 30 minute conversation, but we knew what we experienced and our emotions and thoughts around monogamy were completely and very different, but yet similar. And we had to realize that having different views of monogamy is perfectly fine and it's perfectly okay. It's the actions behind knowing and understanding that we all have different definitions that makes the difference. Now, for you, if you have any thoughts, requests, comments, or questions, please feel free to reach out to us. You can find us on Facebook at Tea with Monty B, on Instagram at Tea with Monty B, and on Twitter at With Monty B. As I always say, this platform is for you, and allow it to be your safe space because it for damn show is my safe space. And you never know if the tea you spill could be the perfect flavor for someone else. I love you, fam. Peace.